I'm Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. (laughs) Today is a fun one, and it might be a shocker because this is the first time I've watched this movie all the way through, but we are starting. I know. it's, It's really wild. But we are. Starting our M. Night Shyamalan-a-thon off with a bang <laughs> with the 1999 psychological thriller, The Sixth Sense. Grandma says hi. She says she's sorry for taking the bumblebee pendant. She just likes it a lot. What? Grandma comes to visit me sometimes. Well, that's very wrong. Grandma's gone, you know that. I know. She wanted me to tell you. She wanted me to tell you she saw you dance. She said, when you were little, you and her had a fight right before your dance recital. You thought she didn't come to see you dance. She did. She hid in the back so you wouldn't see. She said you were like an angel. Yeah, so we're doing an M. Night Shyamalan-a-thon, but we're not watching them in order. Um, we're The next one we're going to watch is Unbreakable, but that'll be whenever we get to it um, because we want to do Knock at the Cabin. Uh, we're doing this so Nikisha can watch all the M. Night Shyamalan movies. So excited. Oh, so many things for this movie, and I'm so glad we are talking about this on this particular podcast because there is obviously a lot to process through all of this trauma that happens in this movie. But it, of course, stars Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment, which I appreciated Haley Joel's uh, cameo in The Boys, and he plays like a child uh, superhero. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is really awesome to uh, see him in that. And if you guys didn't know, the Sixth Sense is the second highest grossing movie of 1999. So I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and by rabbit hole, I mean just one more click away and found out what the top movie was in 1999. Do you want to guess what it was, Brian? Uh, 1999, American Beauty, no. Oh, um, The Phantom Menace. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Yeah, the Phantom Menace. <laughs> absolutely. That is yeah. absolutely correct. But I will say American Beauty was number nine, so you got you cracked the top ten list <laughs> of that. What else? But, uh, was The Mummy 99? Yes. The Mummy was number – I'll just go through it real quick. So it's uh, Phantom Menace, The Sixth Sense, and then number three is Toy Story 2. Number mm. four is The Matrix. Five is Tarzan, six is The Mummy, seven is Notting Hill, lol, uh, eight is The World Is Not Enough, and nine, American Beauty, and then at number 10, 
Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Uh, that is a great film. Oh, man. Wow. I haven't thought about that movie in so long. So do you remember Absolutely. the commercials for that? The Or the trailer? It was like, if you see one movie this summer, make it Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. But if you see two, see Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. That was the trailer. I saw that. That's so oh, yeah. clever. And then, like, so I think, clever. like, Dr. Evil turns around. And like is you know does the lap and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, I saw that in theaters. I love that movie. I haven't watched it in a long time. I love those movies. So I actually saw a TikTok that was like, did you know if Austin Powers the movie came out this year and they used the same chronological like structure, he would have been frozen in 1993. Oh my gosh. And now we all feel old. I mean, at yeah. least yep. old. That's, right. no, that's yeah, yeah. wild. Right? But I love I love those movies too. I never saw them in theaters. Mm. I think maybe the only one I saw in theaters was Goldmember because Beyonce. So sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. But I I do love those movies. They they are a good time. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're really fun. <laughs> That's fantastic. If he huh? if he made another one like a fourth one like now ish, I would absolutely watch them. And I think it would be interesting to see how he handles it because a lot of the point of those movies is how how outdated his way of thinking was. Yes. Um, so I'm curious to see how much of an even like bigger step they take in a fourth one. I mean, that would be great because you're introducing a lot more technology and things. So, I mean, I think it'll be worth it. It's kind of the same with the Hocus Pocus 2 movies, right? Sure. Just like the introduction to all of these new different lifestyle things. I think it'll be fun to just yeah. live in that nostalgia. Totally. Cue. All right, well, obviously heavy spoilers for The Sixth Sense, but don't be like me. I hope that you have watched this movie before because, (laughs) wow, 1999 was kind of a long way away uh, or, you know, in the past. And so heavy spoilers for all things of this movie. And Jamie, any trigger warnings for this? Yeah, there are definitely some upsetting images that upset me when I saw this in 1999. Um, There are... uh, like, I mean, lots of references to death um, just to start. So if death and grief is not for you, this whole movie is probably not the best movie for you at this moment. Um, but there are some like visual representations of people who are deceased. Uh, there's representations of Munchausen's by proxy, um, food poisoning, a gunshot wound, um, a bicycle accident. Uh, I'm trying to think of all, it's not like full blown insides on the outside. Um, but it's like, it's, it's referenced enough based on like whatever's happened, whatever the, the death culminated in a a gunshot, uh, hangings, fire. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, there are technically there are insides on the outside in this one. Uh, if you consider, uh, vomit, (laughs) (laughs) there's biles on the outside. Yeah. If vomit is not your thing, this is not for you. If (laughs) things underneath your bed are not for you, never, ever watch this movie. It will change how you run and jump into the bed without letting anybody grab you. Or I'm just speaking from personal experience. Oh, no. I'm sure a lot of people (laughs) share the same uh, sentiment. And it just reminds me of all those TikTok videos of 
um, people turning off their lights, but then like <laughs> running to the bedroom and like because yeah. somebody's chasing them. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. This is exactly that's what it is. So yeah, this be is why. Beautiful. So before we get into all things producer Brian, please give us some words. I would love to. Um, Hi, everybody. Hi, YouTube. If you're listening to us, we're on YouTube. So uh, that's cool, too. So check us out there. Um, And you can follow us on social media at Talk Horror Pod. That's at Talk Horror Pod. Find us there. We're doing some really fun stuff on Twitter, on Instagram, and especially on TikTok. We are we are getting closer and closer to our 10k goal we uh recently uh passed 8k um so we are rolling and uh that's super super exciting so join us there we do reviews of movies we don't cover here uh we do fun lists over there you know we're taking the trends and turning them into horror um lots of cool stuff over there so check us out there back to you nikisha (laughs) beautiful (laughs) well we got to talk about what we watched this week because if you're on YouTube, you can see my nice uh, sweatshirt. So let's get into it, guys. Talk to me about the Scream, the new Scream trailer. Yeah, the new Scream trailer showed a lot more. We got our Kirby fix. Um, so that was delightful. We see, we see a lot of the New York uh, kind of scenery they're using in terms of the apartment buildings, bodegas, stuff like that. And then we, well, excuse me, we see a shrine to uh, the ghost face killers of the past. And there have been a lot of breakdowns uh, of what is all in that scene, including like the robes that former ghost faces have worn, the clothes of um, victims of ghost face and, and, and the actual ghost face killers from previous um, installments, like their clothes and stuff like that. So um, yeah, there's a lot of different little hidden gems in that trailer. We get a little bit of Gale, we get a little bit of um, other characters, Mm. new ones, old ones. Um, So it's super, super cool. Super, super exciting. I'm very excited for this one. Uh, Jamie, Mm. what did you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to see the New York, you know, landscape more and how, how is Ghostface going to one up them on public transit? Um, and <laughs> yes, you know, always excited to see our, our budding scre- uh, scream queen, Jenna Ortega, um, kicking butt and taking names and excited to mm-hmm. see, you know, how does she, I mean, I hope that she doesn't like suffer any more injuries. She like really <laughs> took the brunt of it in the last one. So hopefully yes. she's, not too, you know, much the target of Ghostface this time around. But yeah, I'm I'm just very excited. I, I'm just like I'm taking it all in and and hope that it delivers. But I feel like it will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing that I kind of have seen on TikTok was when people were breaking down the subway poster of mm. Scream mm. and just talking about like the different lines that lead to different killers and all the things and how um, Stu was kind of like, he he was a little faded than the other ones. And so people <laughs> were making like this whole kind yeah. of conspiracy oh, that man. like Stu in some kind of way is coming back and is involved in the thing and blah, blah, mm. blah. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how this pans out, but Yes, to your point about public transportation, Jamie, because that is a horror movie. That's the true itself. horror. <laughs> that is the true horror is navigating public transportation in New York. Especially so. <laughs> on Halloween. 
especially oh on Halloween. Yeah. Mm-mm. It is packed full of everybody doing all the things. It's yeah. like the weirdos that the, the normal weirdos and then like everyone else just trying to do stupid yep. Halloween shit. So, well, mm-hmm. that's the fun thing about Halloween in New York city. The guessing is that a costume or is that their regular garb? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, oh, we got man. some, we got some Samara weaving in the trailer. The theory there is that she's the Drew Barrymore of this movie. Um, mm. uh, because that's uh, a thought there. Some people are say- like, cause in the trailer, he says like, you've never seen a ghost face like me. And I feel like that's like an everything. Like they're always like, yeah. it's a new, whatever. I would be super fascinated to see if ghost faces three people in this one. I have no reason to believe that, but like mm. yeah, that would be interesting. And then we'd have to do a, is it a Billy Billy stew or is it a stew stew Billy? <laughs> like <laughs> bestew. Yeah. Right. <laughs> a bestuily? Uh We'll have to figure that out. But um, A big stew. A big pot yeah, of stew. A big mm. pot of stew. But I'm excited. Listen, I, I will watch these things till the cows come home. Like, Absolutely. I love the Scream movies. And, like, we talked about on this podcast, like, the Scream movies are more interesting to me than, like, the Halloweens and stuff like that because the ghost face can be anyone and fit the narrative of that movie fit the mm-hmm. meta commentary of what they're trying to do like you like there were so many years between four and five and like let's say that six doesn't do well in 10 years we'll get a seven that's going to say something different about the hollywood industry how and, and 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 sequels and stuff like that so i'm yeah. fascinated by that so we'll see what happens yeah um, it'll be great Pumped. i do want to give a huge <laughs> shout out to jamie who one of her 2023 predictions has already come true. It's um, it was an it, it was it was I think bloody disgusting or someone uh, <clears throat> broke the news that the original one of the original producers of Friday the 13th is um, trying to figure out and develop a new Friday the 13th reboot. Oh, we love to see predictions coming true. <laughs> We love that's so just, funny. I haven't even seen that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's and so that's I get all my news from podcasts these <laughs> yeah. days. So you know, I'm I'm slow to the to the breaking of the news. Yeah, but that's so, very cool. Yeah, so yeah. that was super cool. I saw that. That's outside of the Crystal Lake TV the show. show. Peacock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like totally separate. Okay. So um, that was super cool. And then um, I watched. Uh, There's something wrong with the children. Hmm. Which I really, really liked. It came out direct to digital, so you had to rent it. Video on demand, video on demand, uh, and Epix Pictures and MGM Plus. And I really liked it because honestly, I had very low expectations. Um, it's Zach yeah. Guilford, Alicia Rain, uh, what's her name? Uh, Alicia Rain Wainwright. Um, and I'm just like, I was just like really into it. I, I think it was trying to do some really interesting things. Uh, it was directed by Roxanne Benjamin. Um, who directed one of the uh, Southbound clips and has also produced, like, on the VHS movies and stuff like that. Um, But, um, yeah, it was really, really fun. Uh, Amanda Crew is in it, who you remember from... um, uh, um, Oh, my gosh. Uh, This is going terrible. Silicon Valley. Um, But anyway, Mm. I really enjoyed this movie. I think it was saying some interesting things. It's wild. It has this 80s feel to it. I would definitely recommend it. It's like an hour and a half. It's like not even that long. It just gets the job done. You know, it it has some tropes in there, but because it's trying to play itself like an 80s weird movie, like the tropes work in some ways, it's saying some interesting things that I haven't really seen 
uh, from movies in a long time um, in terms of thematically talking about like parenthood and how parenthood affects you and your friendships and like the societal impact of like, you know, society, you know, um, making having a kid a priority for women. And, and it's really fascinating. Look at that. Plus you got creepy kids. You got some gory stuff in there. You got some weird eighties twists and turns. This movie takes a total left turn in the middle of the movie. Um, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Listen, it's not the best thing I've ever seen, but man, I really dug it a lot. Um, it has some similarities with a movie called here comes the devil from 2012. I believe it's a Mexican film. Um, but realistically like this movie is, is not um, that movie. They're doing two very different things. They just have some plot similarities here and there. But yeah, I would highly suggest it. So there's something wrong with the children. Yeah, nice. Brian coming in hot, trying to beat his record with all of the <laughs> movies that yeah. he wants to oh, watch man. this year. So, so as an update, as an update, I am at <laughs> one, two, three, three new horror movies from this year. Um, but I'm at five total, including the sixth sense. And then Jamie and I watched something last night. (laughs) What did y'all watch? Oh boy. I made Brian because he never saw this one before. And I I have not seen the original and he isn't either, but we watched the (laughs) Nicolas Cage remake of the wicker man and always, always a good time. How did it get burned? Not the bees. Oh, man. The bees. Just a blast of a movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <clears throat> I mean, you know, if you have a good time, that's what's most important. So That's that's all I was looking for, Nikisha, was just a good time, a good time. with an old friend <laughs> trying to solve a case that doesn't quite make any sense and, and things just don't go the way that he's uh, planning. I knew it was supposed to be bad. I didn't expect it to be as bad as it was in the ways that it was bad. Like, yes, I knew the acting mm, was going mm-hmm. to be bad, but like, I'm just like, especially Neil LeBute wrote it. And like, I was just shocked that like this, like eminent playwright did such a poor job with adapting the script. And then yeah. really that it's really, listen, Nicholas Cage isn't that great in it, but um, it's entertainingly bad in some places, but the editing and the direction of the movie is so mundane and boring. Like, and and it's almost like he should have, it should have been like, the movie should have been 20 minutes shorter by cutting off the beginning and ends of every single scene. And like, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like and, and every single shot maybe lasted for like two seconds too long. And like, people's reactions oh. to things are off. Like, like, something will happen. And then like, Nicolas Cage two seconds later be like, oh no! Well, like, it should be like, it should be bam, bam, bam. It was just like weird and awful. Um, and I enjoyed it because of how weird and awful it was. But like, woof. <laughs> Big wolf. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, something added to the list that you have not seen. And you can say that you saw it. So. For sure. So I'm oh. at five total for the year, and th- mm-hmm. I'm at three new ones. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> well, let's get into this oldie, but a goodie, mm. uh, and definitely a better one than The Wicker Man. So let's uh, <laughs> get a two-minute plot summary of this. Close up. Uh, I'll do it. Watch the plot. <laughs> Go for it. I got to redeem myself Ooh. from that. Awful, awful, sick one. <laughs> it's fine. Like, everything and nothing happened in that movie, so you're yeah. fine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I fell into All the trap right. of explaining the kills and, like, forgetting that I had a twist, that had two twists coming. 
Sure, there's Fair. a plot, yeah. but, you know, the kills are All what right. we're here to see. All so. right. okay. Okay, producer Brian, you have two minutes on the clock to give us your best summary of The Sixth Sense. You don't get six minutes, only two. Okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay, and go. Okay, so The Sixth Sense takes place in Philadelphia. It's about this man, this um, child psychologist who gets an award, and the night he gets the award, he gets shot by a child as an adult um, who he could not help when he was a child. Um, that was a bad description of that. Donnie Wahlberg in all of his I didn't eat anything for this role glory. Um, he shoots him, and then we flash forward to the next fall um, where um, the Bruce Willis character, who's the one who got shot at the beginning, is helping this kid, the Haley Joel Osment character, Cole, um, to uh, kind of figure out what's wrong with him. He's not communicating with his mom, who's played by Tony Collette. Their father left a while back. She works double jobs. He gets made fun of at school. Something is very wrong, and we can't figure out what it is. Also, Bruce Willis's wife is ignoring him completely. They have Their relationship has broken down, and their communication has broken down since um, the... Um, the shooting. Now, what we finally learn is that Cole can see dead people. This comes halfway through the movie. So, which is, and I'm halfway through the plot summary. This is a spectacular timing. Um, <clears throat> so Cole tells him that he can see dead people. The dead people don't know that they're dead. Um, and they're always around him. All, he can hear them all the time. Um, and so what they figure out is that the best way for Cole to kind of help himself is for him to help the ghosts. So the one that really is the big helpful one is um, he helps the OC, uh, you know, get revenge on her mother, uh, who was the one who was Munchausen's by proxying her. Uh, and so he helps her. And then uh, he becomes more accepted at school because he knows how to manage this power, if you will. And then Bruce Willis goes home and Bruce Bruce Willis realizes that he's been dead the whole time, and by helping Cole, he's helped himself move on, um, and then that is how the movie ends. But we also need to talk about the fact that now Cole and his mother are communicating in one of the tear-jerkiest scenes maybe of all time in a film. Uh, that is The Sixth Sense. Yeah, that was pretty good! <laughs> that was that great. That was really good. Yeah, that was really great. And that's the plot. <laughs> Yes. Cool. Wow, chill. I got goosebumps. So just talking about the, the bumblebee pennant scene in the car and the, you know, like, uh, I'm going to cry now. I'm this is a crying, this is a crying warning. We, should, we did a spoiler warning. This is a crying warning. I, even in talking, like we paused the movie and talking about the, the mm. sad tear jerky moments. Brian immediately started crying. This I, this episode will be filled with tears. Yes. Just a heads up. I need you to know I also I have a Brian's cry <laughs> counter. I cried one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I cried thirteen times in this. This is the thirteenth sense. I cried thirteen <laughs> times during the sixth sense. Uh, this is and this is probably like my one hundredth time watching this. Maybe this is real like in real terms, this is probably my eighth or ninth time. I'm watching this, but yeah, I cried yeah, yeah. 13 times during this movie, and I'm happy to run <laughs> through each time I cried during my likes and gripes. Um, but uh, yeah, this is yeah. Okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> I'm gonna cry a lot during this episode. So if you're on YouTube, you get cry to see one. the waterworks. <laughs> and if you're listening to us, you'll hear the warble in my throat. The warble. <laughs> the warble. Well, yeah, let's start with our first segment of likes and gripes. And now, our likes 
and gripes. So, Jamie, along with your likes and gripes, tell us your relationship to the movie and how many times you've watched this. Yeah. So, okay. So I think that the first time I saw this movie was in school, which is not great because this movie came out in 1999. So like, uh... I guess I was 10. Nikisha can confirm because we're the same age. <laughs> yes, nine or 10, depending nine on Nine or month. 10. Yes. Um, but it's whenever this came out, like on VHS. So let's say it came out on VHS in by the year 2000. So like 11. So I am mm. in middle school and I think we have a substitute teacher and she's like, we're going to like, they roll in the, the TV cart yes. and we're going to watch a movie. I don't know what, I don't remember who the teacher was. I I don't know what would compel a teacher to bring this movie in for a middle school class. Um, Because this was in my, I can't do scary movies phase. And this movie fucked me up. Like I, I, it was so scary. And, and like all of my, all of my like perception of this movie was just that it was a like terrifying fright fest and that's all I could remember. Then I, at some point I had to have seen, I, I know that I've seen this movie at least twice before. And one was the scary, very scary time. And then I think I, I must've seen it like soon ish after, or like maybe in high school while I was like trying to work through my fear, but I still focused so much on all of the scary parts that this time around when I watched it, I did not realize like how moving and emotional and like dramatic this movie is. Um, and it, it painted an entirely different experience watching this than I had ever gotten before because I was so terrified and only remembered like the spooky people and spooky things and images and like, you know, the, the really intense conversation that is happening at the end, or even the conversation that, uh, that Malcolm is having with his wife, like all these things just like did not sear into my brain the way that, um, uh, what's her face, Misha Barton vomiting, uh, will, will never escape the, the deep bowels of my head. Um, so, I, I like this movie. It's really good. Um, I like it now. I, I was really afraid of it when I was younger. Um, but again, I, I didn't really like appreciate. I, it's also like revisiting early M. Night and, and realizing that a lot of the early stuff is is not really like true, like intense horror, but it, there's way more like dramatization and like thrill, like psychological thriller behind a lot of this work. But again, like as a kid, knowing that he's like the king of horror, like that is the lens that I was viewing all of this. So it was a really nice rewatch this time around. Um, I, I took a lot of notes. Um, one thing I'm curious about as a, as a Philadelphia, Philadelphian, um, is I want to know what this award is that he got. And I would also like one, um, as a child of Philadelphia, (laughs) I would like to be awarded (laughs) with, uh, the children of Philadelphia. Um, so I, I mean, it was funny in the beginning I was complaining because I was like, is this how drunk people are? And I was like, I guess I'm not like, you know, scrutinizing myself when I'm drunk. So I'm, I'm willing to forgive, uh, 
you know, if that's what drunk acting is. Um, didn't recognize Donnie Wahlberg. I wrote Donnie Wahlberg, who? Like that barely looked like him. It was shocking and very deeply upsetting. Um, like just as a therapist, seeing this person, you know, enter young adulthood and feeling like they were failed by a, a person that was supposed to support them and like help them at a very vulnerable time. Uh, that's so deeply upsetting. And I'm sure we'll like talk more about that um, in our brain segment, but just like, yeah, I, I was very upset and like triggered by, um, by that. I mean, obviously because Bruce Willis is shot by like a former client, but just like watching him kind of go through the Rolodex in his head of all the clients that he's worked with in the past and then like try to speak and connect with him, but still missing what was really going on. Um, but like ultimately this, this sense of like, I, I failed, I let somebody down and not only that, but like, you know, they ended their life. Like that's so awful, (laughs) such an awful thing to have to carry as a mental health professional. Um, I, a lot of the questions I was asking in my notes and out loud to Brian as we were watching this were answered throughout the movie, which I really appreciated that there was so much like thoughtfulness about like, I was like, how does he have notes? How is he assigned this case? Like, oh, he was assigned like the day that he died. So like he would have already had access to that information and was just like going about, you know, his, his normal routine. And so like that made so much sense. Um, I, yeah. So like, I really appreciate that. I also was like, why isn't he talking to his mom? Like, and, and not that he has to, and, and I'm sure like people will have gripes with me about that, but it, and, and I have other thoughts about like, you know, what is it like for a kid to have a secret and not be able to share it with a parent? Um, but I was curious, like what's his personal motivation? Because there's no one telling him not to share it with, with his mom and just him saying like, she doesn't look at me like everyone else. I don't want her to know like that her having this knowledge would fundamentally change how she views him, that he's so scared that she's going to view him as quote, a freak, like everyone else does that like, that's going to change their relationship. And that's so heartbreaking because then you have these scenes where like, he's so scared. He's terrified every time he's having these encounters, which is constant. And, and when his mom is around, but like, there's no, there's no respite when she's there because he has to also lie to her in order to like not let her know. So that first scene where he's sitting in the kitchen and she leaves the room and then comes back and all of the cabinets are open and she's like startled and he's just sitting there and he looks so cute and like, you know, his little jammies, he's just sitting there, but she's like, what were you looking for? Cause she doesn't know what's going on. And he has to like, think on the fly and just says like pop tarts. But like, obviously he was just sitting there the whole time terrified because like the, we later see the ghost lady who's like opening all the cabinets in their house. Um, it just like, Oh man, that made me so sad. Um, and then I was contemplating with Brian, like they, he leaves behind that handprint on the table. And we were talking about, cause temperature is like a big way that they show when the ghosties are around. Um, and so it, it's not totally clear to me in that scene, like 
is seeing the handprint an indicator of the fact that it was colder in that room? Or my first reading of it is, is it his anxiety? Like he's like gripping the table because he's so scared in that moment of A, the ghost itself, B, his mom finding out. Like there's just so, this poor kid is just carrying the weight of this. And it, it just makes me so sad. Um, here's one gripe that I had when Bruce Willis goes out to dinner with his wife and he just starts talking about like working with Haley Joel Osmond. Um, that conversation is not HIPAA compliant. He's giving full names and descriptions about this family out in a public restaurant where there are many people around. Um, that is bad. That is not HIPAA compliant. If you are a mental health professional, I mean, you know this, but yeah, do not do this. If you are any any medical professional of any kind, please don't be having full-on conversations about your clients and patients out when you're out to dinner. Um, boo, boo, Bruce Willis. Minus on one you. point in the in the good doctor, <laughs> good doctor, bad doctor. Minus sure. one point. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, I mean, I also think like minus one point for him basically saying that he like wasn't going to keep working with this client because it was interfering with his own personal life. And it's like, that's why, I mean, we talk about self-care and like, you know, the things that clients are doing, like potentially clients and, and characters from other movies to protect themselves. And maybe we don't talk as often about like, how should mental health professionals be taking care of themselves so that they can like do this work and, in this, it like, in this example, it's like, oh, like maybe Bruce Willis doesn't have good like work life boundaries. Maybe like he's not investing as much energy into his wife. Even in the beginning, she makes a comment about like how he's putting all of these families first and her second. And like we can imagine in in before the twist is revealed that like that's that's what's going on. And he's just so invested in his work that he's like not putting any energy into any other aspect of his life, but that's not good for your clients. <laughs> like the whole point of like being there for Haley Joel Osmond is like to be able to support him. And if you're not as a, the, as the professional, if you're not taking care of yourself, you know, then, then this is what's going to happen. And it's like, again, reinforcing like, Oh, I can't help this person. And it's like, you, you can, but you just have to, you know, make sure that you're also taking care of yourself. Like what are you doing to make sure that you can do this work? Um, so that also bothered me minus one point. Um, and another question that I don't think it's a gripe. I'm just like curious kind of about the rules of ghostiness. Um, so like Bruce Willis showing up at certain points, um, like at the, uh, at the hospital after they say he has the seizure or at the school after he gets in trouble, um, for like bullying the teacher, like how does Bruce Willis know in those moments to show up? How does, how does this ghost power work? He's just like always there. And like, again, on first viewing, you're to assume that like, the doctors would call the, the psychologist that the school would call the psychologist, like, which also unfortunately doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it's like, great. We want to reach out to the whole support system. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm just curious about how ghost powers work. Um, 
Another gripe is Tony Collette's accent. Where are you from, ma'am? That is not Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> I love Tony Collette, and she's great at accents because I didn't realize yeah. until maybe like two years ago that she's like Australian. Uh, didn't know that either. Wow. Right. So, yeah. Um, but this is, I don't know where she's from. She's from, it's not Philly. It's, this it's, is, this is the perfect example <laughs> of movies taking like a New York accent and like toning mm. it down a little bit to show that you are middle class or lower class in another city. So that's just a way for the audience (laughs) to automatically know, oh, she's like this working mom, single working mom, working two jobs who doesn't have a lot of income. She came from a certain class of people and like just like it's easy work for the audience to hear that, see her fingernails and like all the makeup and her turtlenecks and like them and like be like, okay, I know who this person is moving on. But she's not. What's wrong with turtlenecks? Nothing. I'm just saying like, you know, she does. She's not saying she's not saying wooder. Or, you know, or going to the Wawa, you know, but she's, she's like, she's like, she's like, I, you know, uh, you know, Cole, what's wrong? You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You want a hoagie? I'm dead. (laughs) I feel like we're getting closer. Not, we don't have any accents, but like, I feel like I could imitate the accent a little bit better more and more every day. So I did accidentally say hoagie recently though. And it really, I was shook. (laughs) Um, but other, uh, one other like big, well, I have two, I have two gripes with the rest of this movie. Um, one is in terms of like the scratches and stuff that Haley Joel Osment is like the physical stuff that he's experiencing and then having like going to the hospital and having this conversation with the doctor, I have a hard time believing that Tony Collette's character would not have noticed any of those markings. Um, because like, yes, we're, we're seeing her as a very busy working mom because she has to. However, she's not like, she's still very, she's a really good mom. And, and it's like, it's way more complex because like she is perceptive. You see her kind of like taking things in and noticing things. There are these like really good scenes where she's like, you know, looking at the pictures on the wall and seeing the orbs and just like noticing them. So like, she's very observant. I don't, I don't see a world where she would not be observant of what's going on with her son and being so disconnected from that. Um, just because of like, you're already demonstrating that she's like very, you know, like intuitive and noticing things and all of that. But then she has no idea that he has these scratches all over his body and just like how scared he is. Like, you know, it it just like, that was a disconnect for me, um, that I, I didn't think was helpful because then it's like, Oh, where are the scratches coming from? Oh, you know, he's, he's, Bruce Willis has a big textbook in front of him, like Google, Googling, like here are symptoms of abuse, like circle. And I'm like, okay, no one's doing that. But also as a mental health professional or any, anybody who is a licensed professional where you are like, you know, uh, responsive to some kind of like state board, you are trained in like being a mandated reporter. And so that means like you are learning about, uh, your responsibility to report any 
any suspicion of child abuse and neglect. You learn about like, what are the signs that you're supposed to look out for? And then you would have to make a report to like child protective services. That's like part of holding a license for, for, and, and this also goes for like doctor or not. Well, yeah, doctors, but also teachers, like people who are working directly with children. So there's no world where a child psychologist is like looking at this book being like, Hmm, interesting, interesting. I've never seen this, but I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Especially if the city's awarding him, like clearly he's working with the city. Like that doesn't make any sense. You would know what these things are. And you are, you know, for, for at least, oh, here's another thing in Pennsylvania. I also know this because I'm a licensed mental health professional here. Uh, you have to take this training on child abuse, spotting and identifying and reporting child abuse. Every time you have to renew your license, which for social workers is every two years. So again, there is no world where Bruce Willis would not know what these things are because he should be getting training for it every two years. Um, so that's my fun fact. And the last, my last thing, cause I've been talking for way too long is, uh, I don't see a world where doctors wouldn't have assessed for Munchausen's by proxy with Misha Barton's, uh, mom, because there's murmurs about like, oh, she's already seen six doctors. That's one red flag that I know that like medical professionals have in assessing for Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy is like, how many other doctors and medical professionals have you spoken to at this point? Like, you know, a a big, not that like there isn't something actually medically wrong going on, but like part of that training is to be able to suss out like, is there something else that could potentially be at play? And like that long history of other medical professionals is definitely a flag to look more deeply into. The other one is that they say that now the younger kid is getting sick. And I'm like, again, why are there, why is there no doctor that's like, Hmm, something weird, what's going on? Um, that, that felt not real to me. So it made me mad that Misha Barton got killed for, for no gosh darn reason. And those doctors should have done a better job. And, uh, that's, that's, those are really my only gripes. The end was so charming. I was just so, I was so relieved that he was so relieved that he was having this conversation with his mom and like, could like the weight off of his shoulders of being worried about how his mom would perceive him. Uh, it like, it just made me so happy that they had that conversation. And I was like, all right, Bruce Willis is dead. (laughs) Yes. I, I do have a quick question. Um, because you were talking about um, by proxy. Can mm-hmm. you just explain like exactly what that is for everyone? Yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> so like there's two versions of Munchausen's. There's like Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy. Munchausen's is when like you yourself are <clears throat> uh, like you are the one who is essentially like faking the illnesses in order to receive like sympathy and support from the people around you. When it's by proxy, you are putting someone else in that position to be sick and ill to receive the support and and empathy. So like, you know, it's, it's very scary because like what either if it's just Munchausen's or Munchausen's by proxy, like it's very scary because like the risk of, of death is, is just like so high. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, like in, at least in this, uh, the, the mom is poisoning Misha Barton with like, I am assuming some kind of cleaning 
fluid or whatever it is. Um, And like that will poison you. That will kill you. So it's just, it's very scary. Jeez. Well, yes, <clears throat> you were borderline on parlor talk about. Uh, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh no, my notes. I had so many bullet points. I also wrote go birds. <laughs> no one said it. I just had to say it. She was wearing an eagle yes. sweatshirt when she was cleaning the house in the, with, the, with the headphones. <laughs> that, I think go. that's why I wrote go yeah, birds. And, the, and, the, and, and Tommy Tomasino was wearing a 76ers uh, hat when he throws them <laughs> I in the, did know at this. the top of the stairs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Tommy. Go oh birds. Beautiful. Well, I'll go really quickly because um, I don't have a, a lot because the whole movie is just beautiful. I love the title card um, right at the beginning. Even knowing wait, wait, the twist, wait, like wait, I said. Wait, 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 wait. Nikisha, tell us your relationship, like having never seen it, knowing the, the, the ending. Like, I, yes. I want, because for me, so for those of you who don't know, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I have to say something. For those of you who don't yeah. know, w- w- Nikisha has never seen, correct me if I'm wrong, Nikisha, you've never seen an M. Night Shyamalan movie. So because. No. Um, Knock at the Cabin is coming out. We're going through all of the M. Night Shyamalan movies. This is the only one we're going to cover before Knock at the Cabin comes out. But over the course of however long it takes, starting with Sixth Sense, and we'll skip a couple in there. Um, like, we can skip Avatar, The Last Airbender. But, like, we'll stick with the horror movies. Darn. I know, alas, poor York. Um, but So this is Nikisha's first movie on our journey to watching all of these uh, movies. So give me a little bit of context behind like what yeah. you know or don't know about The Sixth Sense. Absolutely. So of course, I always talk about this and you guys know that I love a top mojo countdown moment. And so in watching those YouTube videos, I of course spoiled the movie for myself a long time ago. I think it was like mm-hmm. Mojo's top twists in movies and so like I saw this one and I was like okay I know what's gonna happen with this so I never watched the whole movie so I'm really excited that we get the chance to watch all of uh, this director's movies and with this one in particular and it was one of my um, first notes that I had is because I knew the twist I was kind of hesitant going in because you're thinking, oh, is it going to hold up? Because is the twist like the thing that makes it right? But in watching it all together, I think that it holds up so well because the whole storyline is beautiful and how it's crafted and the relationships with the mom and the son and with the therapist and the son. It's just uh, something that it will never be dated um, because we all function in those kinds of relationships in some in some capacity. You know, even if we all don't like have therapists in particular, you know, we can still uh, relate to some of the things that are, are happening with the relationships. Uh, but knowing the twist, I absolutely looked for how Bruce doesn't really talk to anyone and that nobody really sees him. Uh, so every time I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay, I can see how, just to see, you know, because we love rules and we want to make sure everything like makes sense. So just here on talking horror, we love rules. We love rules. And that was also one of my likes, too, is that I like the fact that the ghosts don't know that they're dead and that they can't see each other either. Uh, So I like Mm. how that makes the twist even more of a twist because, of course, 
he is talking to the boy or talking to other people and stuff. And he also makes a comment of how he feels like he's losing like a sense of time. And so I think with that statement, you can get away with a lot of things of like, oh, he just shows up in a place or, oh, he just, and like to Jamie's point, I think that, um, whenever the boy is really in need, it's just when he shows up and because Bruce doesn't have a sense of time, you know, that doesn't, it's not something that's so far fetched for him to just be in those places, you know, because the boy is suffering, he needs Bruce or, and, and that's when he shows up. That's when the ghost shows up, you know, because the boy is in need. Uh, so I really just love that aspect of it. Uh, I also want to say that pets always know because that dog was like, Gearing away from all those ghosts, it's like yes, something is something is wrong. Pets, the pets always know. always know. Did you watch the premiere of The Last <laughs> of Us yet? No, I haven't. Okay. Pets always know. Oh god, so good. I mean, that premiere is an hour and twenty minutes long. I was like, yes, we're in for a ride. I'm very yeah, yeah it. it's awesome. <laughs> um, and then the showing of the ghosts are disturbing but not scary, which is what I liked. Um, but I did wince at the boy who was like. I know where my dad's shotgun is. And then he turns around and yeah. Oh God, I hate it. <laughs> that really yeah. got me. Um, and again, there was not a lot of jump scares. I will say again, in my top mojo, whatever, whatever's, I saw a thing of jump scares and I knew the one under the bed, but I forgot about it mm. until it happened. But I hate computers and technology, even though I love computers and technology. I got a text message right no. as the jump scare happened. Oh. No. So it, I'm completely taken out of it. Completely taken Rude. out of it. Mm-hmm. Rude. Very, Whoever very that was, rude. let me know and I'll call them and I'll give them a talking to. Very rude. Very rude. Because, and then when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, that does happen. But in that moment, I forgot about it. Yeah, so sure. I was really mad that I didn't have like an actual reaction to it. Well, Nikisha, to steal your words from when we watched The Conjuring, and I look for this Mm -hmm. all the time, uh, because you sent us that awesome video, uh, James Wan Jump Scares. So this movie does that perfectly in two spots. The first spot is the one you're talking about, where we're watching the point of view from behind the marionettes, and he's walking towards the marionettes. So you think you're the point of view of what's ever going to scare him, and then Mm -hmm. then you're caught by surprise when the girl grabs his ankle. The first one is in the tent when you see all the clothespins coming out and you think the monster the ghost is on the outside of the tent and it pans down and she's right there both of those got me even though I know they're coming I've seen this a million times but I thought of you Nikisha because like your your astute um uh, breakdown of those James Wan scares when we way long ago did the conjuring episode like truly Mm -hmm. affected me in this one Yes, well, Brian, you took what I was going to say. Oh, no! I literally was about to oh, talk. Oh, damn. <laughs> Brian. Oh, no. It's okay. No. It, as long as the it was said. The producer strikes again. Oh, no. It's fine. As long as it was said. I was just giving like, you props and I stole your thunder. <laughs> it's all good. I can cut me saying it. I literally put. And you can, and I can. Say it again. I can cut me saying it and introduce you to say it. No, 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 no. I want you, I want you to leave it because no. you said it so great. Damn. But literally, my note was. The, love the jump scare of the arm under the bed. A great staple in horror movie making with the camera, putting your attention on one thing and something coming from another Hell spot. yeah. <laughs> Which is why I think that it this movie holds up, even if you do know the jump scares. Like you said, Brian, like 
even with the clothespins and then like panning to the girl throwing up, it's it holds up because of how it's shot. And I just think that all this was kind of like a true beginning in in movies that are shot in that way because I mean this is 99 right and so like you have other things before I mean like Scream and everything has like come out but something that is a psychological thriller but has these kinds of jump scares I think it was like a real kind of it's it's what makes this movie what it is and it makes this movie um, as important as it is in horror movie genre in cinema genre in general few other things the mother-son relationship of course is heartbreaking i absolutely was crying in that car scene and at the very end of the movie i love the ending fade into the uh the wedding video and then like fading into white Mm. and then like the director title card like comes on i thought that was gorgeous uh the realization of him being dead was heartbreaking and uh tony collette is an amazing actress Haley joel is how can a child be that good at acting? I don't understand it. It's truly mind-blowing, the fact that like the only thing he had really done before this was a cameo in Forrest Gump, and then you have this whole like breakout role, and he just nailed every intention, every emotion. He was invested in all of the things, and uh, yeah, I, I just love everything about it. And even knowing the twist, it still holds up because it's just... A beautiful story. I wish there was a world where I could have watched this mm-hmm. not knowing anything about it. But again, even knowing the twist, I think it's still worth the watch because of the whole story and the mother-son relationship and, and so many other things that are just so heartbreaking. But it's just a great movie about kind of moving on from trauma and um, how helping other people can help you with your own trauma. Uh, so yeah, I loved everything about this. <laughs> awesome. I'm so Brian. happy you watched it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. but, um, yeah. what's interesting is that, you know, this movie was marketed as like super scary and you'll never believe the twist or whatever it is. I mean, I wonder if hiding that second twist under the first twist, like people are just like, you know, I don't know how it works then, but I have to say like, I was 13 at the time, so I, I wasn't necessarily like trying to figure it out, if you will. But if I watched this movie for the first time yesterday, I would have absolutely guessed the twist pretty early on in this movie. But I don't think that that takes away from the impact of what the twist has on the narrative because of how strong the themes and the characters and how truly like um, like a, a, a connected you are to those characters. So that, that was something that interesting that I found. But I absolutely love this movie. I think this movie is freaking awesome. Um, So what I'll say is uh, I'll just try to go through my likes as fast as possible because there are a lot. Um, I think that the tension and the score um, built in this movie is incredible. Um, I love all the ghost um, rules. You know, the fact that his pad says December 1998 when he died, um, like in terms of like when they started with with Cole and stuff like that. Um, I like that the wife can't move on as long as he's still there, um, like in the house. Um, I love the edits and the writing in this movie in terms of like you cut right before you. You make the assumption as the audience that his mom and Bruce Willis were having a conversation because then Bruce will because then Bruce Willis is still sitting there. But the mom goes up to him and says things like uh, you can tell me things where it really sounds like that was like coaching that Bruce Willis would give to her to like try to get him to talk. And like I think that just like the the amount that your brain fills in in those moments, because that's what would organically happen is just really masterful. Um, 
I like uh, I, I like that Cole wants help. He's just so afraid, um, you know, especially during the walk forward, walk back game that he plays with him in the room. Um, I think that I thought it was interesting that the nightstand picture that Cole has is his dad kind of happy and his mom not happy sitting next to each other, which I thought was fascinating. Um, I wonder because in the baby pics are all the orbs. So he, clearly he's had this, quote, power his whole life. But I wonder if it got really triggered after his dad left. It's like that unlocked the true nature of that power, you know, symbolic of the fact that like that could be traumatic for a kid and they can go through different things at that point in time. Right. Um he can't seem to get out of his own way. Can't stop her from talking like to the guy, uh, to like the, 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 the furniture guy that works with her or whatever it is. Um, uh, huge, like the nineties, uh, wedding video, uh, with those bridesmaids dresses and the blossom hat. Love it. Amazing. Yes. Um, (laughs) I like that. There's a, the twist is literally the first twist I see dead people is literally like the exact middle point of the movie, which is fascinating. Um, I, uh, I like, oh, something that is forever stuck in my head, and I, for some reason, always remember it, is the camera pan at the very beginning when he, um, when he goes to kill himself, uh, the, um, Donnie Wahlberg character, the Vincent Gray character, and that pan along the wall, like, as the gun is coming up to his head, it pans away from it, and you hear the, the, like, that was just, like, very effective, and it was always stayed in my head. Um, parents with the camcorders is always amazing. Um, and when they're taking videos of that, um, the peta, the, 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 the commercial, the, um, Pedia ease commercial with Tommy Tomasino. Yes. The cough syrup yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I think it introduces it. This movie doesn't have to say a lot to make us understand the characters. For instance, like she's reeling from a loss, uh, his mom. She talks a lot about praying. And as Jamie mentioned, every time we asked a question like who's walking the dog, what are the rules? Um, why does he keep his secret? How does she not recognize all the Jesus statues that he has in his tent? And all those were always answered because she talks about praying. So she's happy that he's probably like using these figures and these symbols to try and help him get through something like all of that was just that she doesn't question the fact that he's stealing it from the church. Um, I like that when Bruce Willis like is really shocked or like is moving further away, like when he, um, you know, when he sees his wife or the other person or whatever it is, he's holding his side where he got shot, which is fascinating. He's also only wearing the clothes he wore that night, the sweatshirt, the, the, all of that stuff. Um, uh, I love all the setups in this movie in terms of like the bumblebee pendant, uh, pendant and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, he the, uh, the fact when he breaks up with Cole and he's like, I can't help you anymore, that's him getting in his own way again. Like, he needs Cole to help him to keep going because he did the same thing with Vincent Gray. So that's the moment in which he does that. Also, when he tells him to help him, um, to help him, like, with the other ghosts, I think it's fascinating because the first time that Cole helps somebody is when he helps his mom in that dream state. And I feel like that is a moment where like he one realizes that he can use that to help other people. But it's also the moment he realizes like maybe try to talk to her while she's sleeping because like my mom understood me. I got through to her at that point in time. Um, the misdirecting of all the the jump scares. I like that Cole was able to take the bus because he had I, I once saw an interview where courage 
is completely based on the people around you. You are courageous because of the people around you. Courage doesn't come from yourself. Courage comes from the people around you. And having Bruce Willis ride the bus with him and do that gives him something to stay grounded on. And I thought that was interesting. Um, I always weirdly remember the close-up of pressing the play and rewind button, um, like with his fingernail. I, I don't know why. Maybe because I bite my fingernails. Um, the reveal, nice. the reveal is very satisfying at the funeral. Um, the, she's the only one wearing red at the funeral. She wants the attention. Munchhouse is by proxy, um, and uh, the grandma scene at the end is one of the great scenes in cinema. In terms of like that is their last scene, and that is all we need to know that they're now connecting again. And how they deal with it moving forward is not important. They were able to get to that point. Um, it also the play him pulling the sword out of the stone is the only it like shows his good fortune all of that here are my gripes clunky exposition with the frame and they hide it with drinking because they're drinking they're being like well you're a great psychologist this on the other thing in the city you know, oh you're I'm always number two like all that stuff um, yes. the ghost side of things um, the the power like uh, same as Jamie like I figured it out but like I always want more Um the clothing rules, um, the teacher is a gripe. The clothing rules are not a gripe. The teacher is a gripe. Like, how are you still going to, like, be a teacher when you call the kid a freak in school? Um, Tony Collette's yeah. accent. The dog seems to need more care from the family. Um, oh, another weird gripe, and I don't know. Every All the other dead people are alive. The hanged people don't seem alive, which would be weird. Like, like you know, when they're hanging in the gym, like, if someone blinked, maybe that would have been interesting, but I don't know. And here is my biggest gripe with the movie. At the end, when he says, you were never second, that's not true. He never apologized. I think it would have been more effective if he apologized to her for always treating her as second. Because his behavior throughout the whole movie showed that he always treated her as second-class citizen to his work. And he says he says that, like, you were never second, maybe in his heart, but his actions didn't re re present that. So I, I would have appreciated an actual apology as opposed to, like, something else there. That's all I'll say about that. Also, something that you can see, and Nikisha, we'll get to this as we watch more of these, you can how. You can see how serious M. Night Shyamalan takes his scripts. Everything in this is like dead serious. And you can I, you can kind of see the beginning of his ego getting in the way of like, my text is the most important thing of all time. Like this text is God. You can kind of feel that in some places, but this movie is great. So it it, it it's awesome in that way. Um, so also you gotta love his Hitchcock uh, cameo as the doctor. Um, <coughs> quotes, it's called improv from Tommy Tomasino. Keep moving, cheese dick. Um, <laughs> Is that a real insult that people say? Maybe, maybe in Philly, because like it. cheese whiz. Um, uh, I will not hit yes. or kick anyone like the Bart Simpson on the wall writing on the chalkboard. Um, stuttering Stanley is something I'll never forget. I was even quoting it before we even started the movie. And Jim was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, just wait. Stuttering Stanley, stuttering Stanley. Yeah, I forgot. Again, I only remember the scary parts. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> when Cole says, I didn't know you were funny, um, you have hmm. to add some that twists and stuff. When he's asking him to tell the story to him in the hospital, he's like, you're a bad storyteller. You have to add twists and stuff. Love that. Um, yeah. You wigging out when he, like, figures it out. Because um, when he, like... When he comes back to him, um, or like, are you wigging out at the end? And then silence, village idiot, always makes me laugh every time in the play. <laughs> um, uh, cry counter, Tony Collette with the wishing scene where they all tell them how their day was or how they wish their day went. 
so- solid cry. Cole asking why you're sad to um, Bruce Willis. Um, that when she says happy anniversary right through him, um, like uh, uh, Cole's secret, obviously. Um, the Bumblebee pennant dinner talk where they talk about, like, the, the, why is the pendant moving? Um, look at my face. I'm not very mad um, when she's trying to get the dog out. And, like, he has to, like, do that. Oh, my God. Uh, the dad finding out uh, about the Munchausen's daughter makes me cry. Seeing him help the burned woman put on his makeup in the theater makes me cry. Like, it was just such a, I'm crying now, it was just a simple thing that he was able to do. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Uh, the play made me cry, like in him being like King Arthur and all of that, like that, like just like showing how he did it. Um, uh, talking to her in her sleep, tell the whole goodbye scene, like between Cole and 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 Doctor Crow, because like it just we know that's going to be the last time, and and. Haley Joel Osment knows from the, as far as I'm concerned, Haley Joel Osment's first line to Bruce Willis is, um, or one of them is like, uh, um, something to the effect of like, uh, you, you, you're, this is not the last time I'm going to see you. Right. Or like he has some lines in there where like, and he also like looks up with like almost like a gasp in his eye when Bruce Willis walks in. So Haley Joel Osment to me knows that he's dead the whole time. Like that is, but he can't tell him because that would like make him go reeling. So like him saying goodbye to him before Bruce Willis figures it out is just like a devastating sign scene to me. And then the car scene at the end is truly like I cry at when when oh my god I'm gonna do it right now like yes. just like that whole sequence of like the scare of the woman behind him and he's trying to talk to his mom and that whole thing about the grave and like you know what did you ask her and like the whole thing oh my god I'm I'm I, if I don't stop now I'm just gonna <laughs> sob but yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then that's it. Obviously, in my quotes, I didn't quote the famous ones from this because, like, who cares about those? It's all about keep moving, cheese dick. Um, So questions I have for all of you that we can answer during the mm, brain segment because I know we're, like, running super long because we all love this movie. Um, Did you think that Cole knows immediately that he's dead? Um, Did you like this movie your first time or on knowing the twist and watching it multiple times? Um, And then... um, is the mother inattentive or overwhelmed? And I think Jamie answered that already. She's a good mom. She's just like overwhelmed by everything. Um, so I'll stop yes, there. Yeah. Um, thank you. This has been not a TED talk, just I love this movie. A part of the talk. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, you already introduced us into mm brains. So let's get into it. <sighs> I think that's a great point, Brian, about... Uh, does Cole know or not? I think so just because of the initial reaction, because of course, like watching this from the perspective of knowing that Bruce Willis is already dead is so when Haley Joel sees him, he's kind of like startled or he has a, like a reaction of mm-hmm. like, this is a ghost that I am seeing right now in this moment. Um, and what our first introduction, he's like running into the church and like playing with the things or kind of like hiding from him mm. in uh, from Bruce Willis. So I think, yes, all that to say, uh, yes. And I think also, like Jamie said, the mom is just overwhelmed, but a really, a really good mom. What about mm-hmm. you, Jamie? Yeah, I, I'm uh, operating under the assumption that Cole knows the whole time. Um, because yeah, like we're, we are seeing it from Bruce Willis's perspective, but like he's just showing up places. So like, I'm assuming that Cole is just like, Oh, I don't know where this man could have 
just come from. Oh, and a Jamie gripe is <laughs> there'd is be he? blood on the front of his shirt, too. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Like, everybody else, you could see the wound. But I guess, again, if we're seeing it from Bruce Willis's perspective, then we're not seeing... We're, we, he's, he doesn't know, and I guess you're only, yeah, I don't know. You leave on the front of your shirt. It's <laughs> yeah, you, what is it? They Ghosts only see what they want to see, so he didn't see the, the, the table in front of the door, and he didn't see the hole yes. in the front. It was also tucked in a little bit, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, my question that I do have is just like a, a general question, Jamie, for you is. General question. What do you do when you do, uh, <laughs> general uh, what do you do when you come across a patient that you don't think that you can help? Have you ever experienced that? What would you suggest? I would say that like, so I very much view it more as like what I am trained and like skilled in, what is my niche, what are my like areas of expertise? And like, I, I don't do everything. Like I, you know, I wouldn't, I would never say that I could. So I think that like, I mean, one, I think that's why consultation calls are like so important and it goes both ways that like for a client wanting to find a therapist, like if you're looking for a therapist, like have that, have that phone call before you meet with them so that you can figure out if they can help because there are so many therapists with so many different approaches and specialties and yada, yada, but like not everybody deals with everything. So that's why I feel like, you know, having the space to kind of like ask questions, like what's your approach? Like, have you worked with like issues like mine before? Are you familiar with these things? Um, and that there's nothing wrong with a therapist saying like, actually like, no, like I, again, I will always be very transparent and say like, I'm so sorry. Like I, I, you know, I don't have experience with like eating disorders and like, I would never want to put you in a position where I would say that I can help you when like, that's not my area of expertise and you would be much better suited to working with a therapist that does have that training and that experience. And like, I would like to help provide referrals for you. So like, I think, um, it's not that like, it's not that the people themselves are like, unfixable or that like they cannot be helped. It might just be like that particular provider might not be best suited to be able to help you. But like that there are other providers that can help you. Yeah. Uh, to your point though, if you are with someone and you have experience in that, but you feel like it's still, you're still not helping, even though if it is your specialty, would you also just give a referral to someone else? Yeah. I think that's like a more delicate conversation to have. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that it should be framed in the, like, I can't help you because like, that's, that is not helpful. And like, that's probably going to make somebody feel much worse. Um, but yeah, like, you know, there, there are people who like have expertise in things and then like still might come up against, uh, you know, something that feels more challenging. And I think Mm -hmm. often there are other things like outside of just the primary issue that someone is looking to seek support in, 
the, for me, the fit is the most important thing. So maybe it's like Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment, like aren't a good fit to work together, even though this is Bruce Willis's yeah. like area of expertise and that's okay. Um, because again, it's like, it's more about that relationship that you have with that therapist than it is about like, yes, obviously it's about their skills and their ability to like support you. But if you don't feel connected to them and vice versa, like if they feel like, like the therapist is evaluating the fit too, if it feels Mm -hmm. like it's just not the right connection, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the client. It just means that like, you know, we might be perceiving that like, I'm just not the right fit for you in particular, even though like I I might have these skills. And like, again, having a really delicate conversation with explaining that like, it's not the client's fault, um, should be the first thing and not the, like, I can't help you. Um, so, you know, hopefully the therapists out there are are wording in a, in a much more supportive and empathetic way. Um, plus I think that you soften the blow by actually having other people to refer to. So it's like, I can't help you, but Dr. Smith is a great doctor who also has expertise in this. And like, you know, I think actually would, would love to work with you. Like you, you soften the blow by like already helping you, you make it less complicated for somebody to like connect with somebody else. You, you, as far as I'm concerned, I feel like therapists, go above it. This is my personal opinion. And I say that right now because I have the capacity to do this, but Mm -hmm. therapists go above and beyond when they're able to actually provide clients with other referrals. Like it's hard enough trying to find a therapist out there for anyone right now. If a therapist is like, I'm so sorry, I'm not the best fit, or I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm fully booked right now. Um, but here are some colleagues that work very similar to how I work and like also meet the other criteria that you're looking for. It's crappy to have to go through like this chain of like continuing to talk to people. However, I think it's, it like softens the, the weight of having to like search and find that right fit when, when there are other connections that are being offered. For sure. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Brian, did you have a question? Yeah, can you tell us the difference between a psychologist and a uh, um, a psychologist and a psychiatrist? And then can you uh, talk about like what you would need to be a child version of any of that? Not like a little kid doing it, but like helping little kids. Um, <laughs> and then you talked about the dings on him. I'm going to need to get your full assessment on if he is a good doctor or not. Sure. Um, so the biggest difference between a psychologist and psychiatrist is like the type of education. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor. So a psychiatrist would go to med school, um, to become a medical doctor. And then, um, I, my understanding is that like when you're in med school, you like choose your specialty. And so you can choose anything. You can be like a surgeon, you could be a pediatrician, you could be a gynecologist, um, you can also choose psychiatry. Um, so that would require, and then like, you know, everybody has to do some kind of like post med school type of additional education slash like hands-on learning, like residencies and all of that. They have that for all of the specialties that you are pursuing. So they have psychiatric residencies. Um, you would likely be like, you know, working in, um, 
I want to assume that most likely it's like hospital settings, but like, like outpatient inpatient units, um, and like learning about, uh, you know, the, the psychiatric services. So there's also, because it's a medical doctor, they're able to prescribe medication. Um, so like if, if somebody is looking for medication to help manage anxiety and depression, they can see a psychiatrist who can prescribe that medication. Um, a psychologist can't make prescriptions, even though they have, they have a, a doctorate, but it's a, a PhD. So it's like a research-based um, doctorate and, and not a medical doctorate. Um, and so with psychology, we're psychologists. Um, it's like, I mean, the, the length of time that folks are in these programs are like similarly long, like for a PhD, it's like, you know, five to seven years plus. Um, and it's a lot of, uh, like research. Um, I would say psychologists are, are, a lot of them end up in academia, um, for like, you know, doing research affiliated with universities and and things like that. Um, but they can still do direct practice. Some of them do direct practice. There's also other options, um, that have doctorates. Like there's a, a PsyD, a different type of doctorate in psychology that is not research focused. It's, um, it's practice focused, it's clinically focused. So there is, again, more of an emphasis on clinical practice as opposed to research. Um, and you still get a doctorate at the end. So you would be a doctor. Um, but that, and that program is like five years. Um, but like the, the underpinning of like what is being learned educationally is the same as, as far as I know, like some discrepancies with like psychological testing. So like, if you wanted to do testing for like IQ, if you wanted to do testing for, if you have ADHD, there's like tests that you can do that can confirm that diagnosis. Um, uh, things like that, which is different from like an assessment that you can ask questions about, like, have you been having symptoms of, uh, like difficulty sleeping, low appetite, loss of interest in things, any mental health professional can provide those assessments, but like psychological testing requires additional education. But what I was going to say before that is that all of the educational underpinning is essentially the same because we're all learning all the same theories across like most of the different, uh, mental health professional educational tracks. So like social workers and licensed professional counselors and licensed marriage and family therapists, like we're all learning about Freud. We're all learning about Pavlov. We're all learning about, you know, Eric Erickson, child development, speaking of children. Um, so like all of those theories, uh, are, we're all learning the same theories. It's just maybe like the application of them that might vary a little bit in, in what we're learning, um, you know, in school and things like that. And like different lengths of time that you're in school with a child psychologist, I would say that like, you know, both experience wise, like there's just probably a, a lot more focus on working with children, um, in, in different settings that could be schools, that could be hospitals, um, you know, anywhere where you're like 
exposed to working with children, just like that's where a lot more of the experience is. Um, I think that like with, uh, uh, you know, education wise, like I'm not a child psychologist, so I can't speak to like other specifics. Um, but I'm sure that there's like additional, you know, trainings and things like that. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're all learning a lot of similar stuff. So is he a good doctor? I want to say 75%. I think he's a good doctor. I think he works really hard to like build that connection with Haley Joel Osmond. And like, I think that goes a long way. I think where it's problematic is like, he needs more training on what abuse looks like and he needs better boundaries. Like he needs to, he needs to practice self-care so that he can have better boundaries with clients. All right. Practice all the (laughs) self-care. Beautiful. Well, Let's get into Rotten Tomatoes. Sure. Yes. Rotten yes. Tomatoes. Yes, yes, yes. It's the Rotten Tomatoes game. What, what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? 92. Oh, my God. That's literally what I was going to say. Ah! 92. Uh, the, it has an 86%. Which is wild to me. Uh, the audience score is a 90, though. Um, okay. And, so we're aligned yeah. with the audience. M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense is a twisty ghost story with all the style of classical Hollywood pictures, but with all the chills of modern horror flicks. Yeah, I mean, I think that's accurate. The thing is, I grew up with this type of movie. Like, like Nikisha, like, you watch all the slashers. I watched these type of movies, like this, and a couple, a couple of them yeah. would be suggestions, but, like, this is what I grew up with, Hitchcock and this, and, like, this is what I love, and, and yeah. So it does feel like classic Hollywood, for sure. Um, no. Should we do the four S's? Yes. Yes. Skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns, four S's. <laughs> we have skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Uh, we're going to do one through ten for skulls, sca- shakes, and scares, and then we are going to uh, give our suggestions. So, Jamie, uh, what did you want to do? You want to go first? Yeah. Um, so for skulls, I gave this a seven. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of very like realistic ways that people are acting in this. I think that the, the ways that like, you know, I think that Haley Joel Osmond is, is very real in this, like his fear, his anxiety, it, it feels like fully realized. I feel like Tony Collette as a mom feels fully realized. Um, she just cares so much, but just like, there's just so much going on. She's do all this stuff. I feel like there's some, there's some lost points for like Bruce Willis and how he's, you know, him professionally, but, um, but yeah, otherwise I think the people be people in, um, for scares, I'm going to give this a seven, mostly from my childhood being truly terrified of this movie. It didn't really scare me this time, but I think just like the nostalgic fear like comes back when Misha Barton grabs him from under the bed. Um, for shakes, I'm going to give this an eight. I have, I like, will never forget the spooky parts. I might have forgotten some of the rest of it, but I, now I really won't forget it. This movie is fully integrated into my brain and um yeah every everyone should see this movie nikisha yes i would give the skulls a seven just for the relationships the mother-son relationship uh it's so beautifully written and i think is realistic uh as far as how mom would handle um being a single parent 
scares. It's not really scary. It's more disturbing. So I'll give it a three. Uh, and then for shakes, I'm going to give it an eight because I will never forget this story. And I'm so glad that we were doing this and I could watch the movie all the way through because sans the twist, it's still just a beautifully crafted movie. So it's way up on the top of my list now, psychological horrors for sure. Yeah. We've, cause we forced you to watch it. Um, I love it. I'm not mad at it. Um, <laughs> Not mad about Skulls, it. I gave this an eight for all the reasons you said. Um, scares, I gave it a six because it's unsettling, but also I have like nostalgia from the scares, which is what Jamie mentioned. And this is a straight 10 for me. This is like an all-timer, truly great, emotionally resonant and scary. The, the twist doesn't matter because it gets better every time. Um, let's go through suggestions. I'll start... My two suggestions are watch Unbreakable. That is the next M. Night Shyamalan movie, and it, we are going to cover it next in his timeline if you don't include Knock at the Cabin. And then if you want another good twist um, uh, with ghosts, I would watch The Others with Nicole Kidman. Um, that uh, don't I'm not going to spoil anything, um, but there'll be a very clear reason why I suggested that. Um, all right, who's next? I'll go, um, since yes. you stole one of mine. Um, so yes, I I just went with uh, good movies, maybe with a twist. Uh, the Others, Shutter Island, mm. and The Prestige. Good ones. Less horror, but still spooky. Sure. I honestly forgot about suggestions, but also like this is, it, there's no two-pack. This is in and of itself. It should stand Ooh. alone. Your suggestion is watch it again <laughs> now knowing the twist. Watch it again and again that. and again and again. I love that. Yes. <laughs> but those are also good suggestions. I still need to watch Shutter Island. Oh, it's been on my queue for a long time. Uh, <laughs> grand. So I think that wraps up this episode of The Sixth Sense. Uh, you can follow us on all the social medias at Talk Horror Pod, P-O-D, on the Instagram and the Twitter and the TikTok, and now on YouTube. Hi, everybody Hi, YouTube. in YouTube land. Hey. And Brian, where can they listen to yeah, us? Yeah, you can listen to us wherever you get podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. Five stars, please. And thank you. Brian, give us one of them good, good quotes. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, just keep moving, cheese dick. But <laughs> don't worry, Nikisha. It's called improv. Oh, I guess, we I guess also improv. I see dead people. <laughs> I mean, if you had to pick one out of the air, I, I guess. guess I see dead people. Bye. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.